finance. Personal finance, uh, part two. Um, yep. Uh, okay. Um, there's a lot of things that, as the show progressed, um, as the last show progressed, uh, we quickly realized, Gio and I quickly realized that there was a lot more to cover, at least a whole show's worth. And, of course, we could just do this indefinitely if we wanted to, but we're we're going to do this second part, and we're going to move on for a while. You know, if we feel like there needs to be a part three down the road somewhere, uh, we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. Uh, but right now, uh, there's there's a few more things we'd like to cover in this episode that are very pertinent to your everyday life and how to manage these things. Some things you may know about, just like in the last episode. Some things I'm sure you're probably going to be new to. Um, so with that being said, I think we shall begin. Um, is there anything you need to cover, Geo, before we get started? Um, or? Let's see. Uh, I A lot of people don't... Where, where exactly do you want to start with this here? Um... Well, I think I think the top of the list is probably where we should, because that's kind of where we left off on the last episode. Um, I, that's the way I was trying to think of it when I was jotting this stuff down, is you know where we left off and moving through the different topics, because the first topic is for like, is is inflation, and right. the reason I think that's important is because it ties through every other subject in some way or another. Um, like assets, for example. You know, um, so that's how I was thinking about it. I was trying to be a little more organized in my thoughts mm-hmm. uh, in this episode than I was the last one. Um, and in that way, the audience who we're doing this for I uh, could think about it in a way that uh, they can understand money in their own mind better. Um, another thing I think if I guess we're just going to get started. Uh, yeah. Another, another thing I think inflation is important is because um, I have not heard anybody explain inflation correctly, or at least to, to where somebody else understands it properly. It's like we hear it our whole lives, inflation, 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 especially when we're kids. We hear the adults talking about inflation, inflation, taxes, taxes. And we have no concept from that point on what it really is, what inflation is. All we know is, oh, stuff gets more expensive. But we don't, we're never told, we're never taught, we're never explained to in any kind of real way what that actually means. Okay. And it's actually an illusion. Yeah. That's what I I like. uh, I was thinking, I was thinking about this um, since the last episode. And um, the only time I remember being taught about this was when I was in in high school. We had a government. In economics class, some people that, call that's it, uh, government econ. Yeah, that's I had that too. Or civics, some people call it. 
Maybe yeah, um, some people, but but uh, they don't. Do they not teach this in high in schools anymore? Uh, this, they do not. They do not. Wow, that explains at, a lot. At, le- at, le- at least in my area, having having raised a son through the public school system, um, I can tell you firsthand they do not. Wow. If they do, it's an elective that nobody takes. Yeah. So. Wow. Um, yeah. Well, to that end, I mean, when we were when I was in school, this class taught taught me, you know, how the stock market worked. Um, yeah. And and how, you know, what inflation was, what. You know. Well, see, even even my teacher didn't really explain inflation to where it was understandable. Most of us students really didn't walk away understanding anything about inflation other than stuff got more expensive. And, um, you know, but I, I came through my own research over the years. I have come to understand it and understand it in a way where I think I can explain it. To where it makes sense to people. Okay. Um, and um, government, I, I too took government econ. I learned how to. I, I walked into that class knowing how to write a check, how to balance a checkbook, how to create a monthly budget, and that's the stuff we were taught in that class. But I already knew how to do it. My mom taught me personal finances. You, you know, um, it was just important. You know, my mom taught me how to cook. She taught me how to um, do basic sewing. And my mom I didn't, was I like, didn't learn any of the sewing stuff, but, like, the budgeting part, I mean, I, I just learned out of necessity. Cause, uh, people in my house don't, don't really adhere to such things until it's too late, you know. Um, but um, one thing, one thing my mom, you know... Uh, as a son, you know, she she raised two sons. Um, she wanted her sons to be independent from a female. And it's kind of weird, but, you know, she wanted us to be able to take care of ourselves without having to rely on a female to cook for us and to sew for us. And, um, you know, she, she felt like if we were going to be with a female, we were going to be with one because we wanted to be, not because we needed somebody to, to, to lean on. She wanted us to be completely independent. And I think that's true for uh, my sister, too. But uh, my sister kind of just, when she was younger, was headstrong, and it was really difficult for my mom to... Um, reach her in in a lot of ways but uh my mom me and my brother were pretty much in lockstep as far as you know mom sitting down and teaching us you know what we need to know about life you know and i think most parents just don't know how to do that they don't know how to prepare their kids for life or they don't want to they're just lazy it's like yeah go play your xbox you know Mm -hmm. I didn't have any of that growing up. So if I want to spend time with my mom, I'm sitting at the kitchen table with her while she's balancing the checkbook and I'm learning as I'm doing it. You know what I mean? Because she had a household to run, you know. 
Uh, so, uh, so anyway, like I said, I went into government econ in high school. It was one of the last classes I took in high school before I graduated. And it answered a lot of questions, but it left a lot more. Um, like, like my teacher didn't really understand how the stock market worked. I mean, she knew what she was told, but she just passed that on. She didn't really have any experience in it. You know, she's a teacher for crying out loud. You know, she didn't have money to throw into the stock market. There weren't apps like there are today to make it easy. So she did the best she could. And, and you know, I thank her for opening that door for me because, you know, from that point, I've always paid attention. And uh, we just don't have that anymore. For whatever reason, we just don't. And um, I think most people, um, especially nowadays, they, they learn what they learn in school, but they don't. They don't continue on with it. They don't. Um, it's boring, and, and yeah, they, they just they just yeah. move on. Yeah. Depending on what type of person you are, yeah. <laughs> so, so the elephant in the room. What is inflation? Well, um, it's not that complicated. Basically, it is how valuable a single single dollar is, how much value a single dollar has. And most people are like, well, it's worth a dollar. Yes, it is, and no, it's not. The dollar has to be weighed against a good or a service, okay? And a good or a service has an intrinsic value by itself. It has value, okay? And this goes to my guitar collection. I'm going to use that as an example because once people understand why I have a vast guitar collection, they understand that it's not like some crazy mad guitarist just collecting stuff. There's actually... Um, method to the madness, if you will. A guitar is a product, okay, like a piece of art, okay. A guitar has value, and it and it and it's set by how many there are in the world, uh, how desirable it is, and all that set like gold. Gold, there's so much gold in the world, and it has a set value, no matter what the value of the dollar is. Okay, I'm going to get to that. So, one guitar, you know, if you collect a a classic guitar or a vintage guitar or one that is of high quality, year over year, the, the, the value of that guitar is going to change. But not really. What is affected is the value of the dollar. One dollar does not equal one dollar anymore, especially today. Um, as I, I made a chart that complements our Facebook page, um, the from 1970, 1970, a dollar was worth about seven dollars today so the dollar lost seven times its value 
between now and 1970. Okay. The, the product is still the same. Like if you were to buy a house in 1970, it would look like it was seven times cheaper because the dollar was seven times more valuable. Okay. So $63,000 house. Wow. That's cheap. Not really because your your average minimum wage was uh, almost fifteen dollars back then. You know, so everything the price hasn't really changed. It's just the value, the worth of the dollar has changed, and it's not going uh, up; it's going down. So each year, and so when you hear ten percent inflation, like we're here now, ten or fifteen percent inflation. The dollar lost 10% or 15% of its value. So that's 10 to 15 cents right off the $100, uh, the 100 pennies it's already worth. So that goes all the way down to the pennies, you know. So, yeah, that's a high number when you start to think about it. So if there was no inflation and we just started out at, at 15%, you take a dime and a nickel. Off that dollar, 85 cents, and that's what you have. It lost 15 cents per dollar. Okay. Now, I'm oversimplifying this, but I, I just want people to understand what it means because a dollar is not necessarily worth a dollar. If you cut 15%, if you add 15% inflation, it's only worth 85 cents. It also doesn't. It also have something to do with the fact that um, we just print more money. I'm getting to that. Yeah. <laughs> so so yeah, if there's more of something, each something becomes less valuable. Okay. So let's let's use guitars for example. They make a million Squire guitars overseas. They look like a Stratocaster. They play like a Stratocaster, and they make a million of them. They sell them for cheap. And they go in the used market for cheap because you can get a Squire guitar any day of the week. Okay, there, There's no shortage of them. So each one of them is less valuable. Okay. Now let's go to the Fender Custom Shop and let's make a one-of-a-kind guitar. Nobody else has this guitar but you. It's one. It's only one. So you got the labor the person making the guitar because it's all custom it's all handmade you have the rarity of this guitar it's only one only one available so of course it's going to be ten fifteen thousand dollars it's now, not inflated that makes me maybe think of something else. I, I, this is sort of off topic a little bit but do they do that i knew they do that with guitars do they do it with amps just depends on the amp builder. I mean, Fender does sort of. Um, Fender has its signature amps, like the Eric Clapton amp, and the. Uh, uh, I think they're doing a Stevie Ray Vaughan amp. Um, if I remember correctly, yeah, that's way off subject. Yeah, I just it just popped in my. I wanted to. Um, I'm sorry. So if a guitar was a dollar. Okay, so the Squire guitars are a good representation of, of an inflated product. 
Fender wants the Squire guitars to be inflated because they the more they sell, uh, more profit they make. You know, they're not making a lot of profit off of each one, but they're making a little bit. Sort of like the Model T, you know. They made 15 million Model Ts in the span of the Model T's lifetime. Each one got cheaper and cheaper. So I think the final one was only like $250, and they started out at like $450. So um, the more out there... Uh, the less the less cost it will be. So same with money. The more you print it, the less valuable what what you have in your bank becomes because it's not as rare anymore. Mm-hmm. Now I've argued for a long time, and no politician except for one has even come close to it. That what we need to do to curb inflation is to let the money dry up for about. Two, three years, five years, maybe. Um, I think if you if if there was no money just being printed like they do, like okay, we need we need to send uh, Ukraine thirty three billion dollars. No, none of that. No printing money at all for any reason. Whatever money's out there in the market, that's all you get. That will curb inflation, in my opinion, to the point where. Uh, it'll be manageable because, you know, hey, they're not printing any more money. What you got is what you got. So um, it's very interesting, you know. Um, Like I said, only one politician has even came close to it. And ironically, inflation was at its lowest point during, during that president's tenure in office. Only to be reversed when the next president got in. Got in. So we Easily won't talk about. We we won't talk about names because I'm trying not to be political here. I'm. I just want our audience to understand how finance works. Um, I keep there. There's there's a good. There's a friend of mine that keeps saying, "Why you know it doesn't affect you? Why do you get so involved?" Yeah, it does. Inflation affects me. You know. I buy things, and things are getting expensive. Um, everything affects you in one way. You can pretend it doesn't, but it really does. All you got to do is go to the grocery store, and you can see any example you want. There's so many examples that ain't even funny. Well, yeah, that's that's true, too. So, so that that brings, like I said in the beginning— Inflation affects everything we're talking about. Everything. I mean, and there's ways you can mitigate inflation. Like that, like my guitar collection. Assets are a good way to mitigate it. What, we, I, you were going to say something. There. No, I, just to just for somebody that okay isn't just to just to use a, a, a excuse me grocery store example here. Milk used to be what a dollar and. Let's say a dollar twenty-five dollar, whatever. Um, of course, if you go back further, you know, yeah, you know, it would have been a couple of cents, or whatever. Um, but uh, right now, it's probably close to three dollars and something. Okay, here's the thing. Mm-hmm. 
the price of milk hasn't really gone up. The price of milk is the same. It's the your money is not worth as much, so it takes more to buy that gallon of milk. To equal the same price of milk, see, like I'm going to bring up my my chart, um, my inflation chart, which I worked really hard on, and I'm really proud of because it it gives you a good understanding of how this inflation is an illusion. Um, it's on our on our Facebook page. All you got to do is look for Geek versus Geek, and you'll find us. In fact, please. We we put there put stuff up there all the time that charts there so you can look at it, you know, kind of understand. Yeah, um, the chart this the chart that I'm referring to is there. I'm looking in my personal files right now to to find it. If I don't find it right off, it's not going to be a big deal. But oh, damn, what do I do with it? Uh it was uh it was just a, a way to look at nineteen seventy in today's prices, you know, as if as if inflation was what it was now back then. Mm-hmm. You know. So things didn't really get cheaper or or more expensive rather. Um uh, it's just inflation makes things look that way. And there are some entities, especially in the food department, that are going to take advantage of inflation. They're going to use this time to actually raise prices. That doesn't mean the value of the gallon of milk has gone up. That just means they're they're going to gouge you and blame it on inflation. And what are you going to do about it? Oh, inflation. Because you don't really understand inflation that much. You just hear the word, no, the prices go up. So they're going to take advantage of that. Generally what happens, Some, you know, the the example a lot of people like to use is gas. So gas goes up, and one station may be cheaper than another, depending on which company it is. So, like, while one station may be... Two dollars and ninety-five, two ninety-five. Another station is three dollars and ninety-five. Um, and it, they like to pretend, oh, it, it goes up by fifty cents or it goes up by twenty-five cents. And uh, it's not all because of the price of oil. It's also because it costs, you know, cost me more to get the truck here to fuel the tank. So you can buy the gas. So I'm going to pass that cost on to you because it cost me, you know, same thing with food. Um, it caused the the truck to get the food to the store and stock, you know, the shelf. It's a domino effect. So all that cost, whether it's our, you know, artificial or not, gets passed on to the consumer because the cost of labor, the cost of transport, all that stuff. Right. Um, so let, let, since we're talking about food and 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 gasoline, okay. Um, here's a good example. I've got I've got the chart up. Mm-hmm. All right. So in 1970, 
gasoline was 36 cents a gallon. Okay. Mm. Which is super cheap. Okay. Mm. But it's not as cheap as you think it is. If you added today's inflation to that, it was $2.50 a gallon, which isn't bad. But, um, you know, that's that's numbers that we're used to in a good economy. You, you know, it's not just ridiculously cheap, you know, oh, that's 36 cents a gallon. Wow. But it was like I said, because those nickels and dimes were worth more. <laughs> It was actually two dollars and fifty cents. Okay, if you apply today's inflation to that, um, you want to talk about other things. We were food related. We were talking about milk. Milk was sixty. Milk has actually gotten cheaper. Okay, uh, milk was sixty-two cents a gallon. Oh, that is really cheap. Oh my God, no, not really because. If you apply today's inflation to that sixty-two cents, it was actually four dollars and thirty cents a gallon. Okay. Coffee was expensive as hell back then. It's a dollar ninety a pound in nineteen seventy money. It was actually thirteen dollars and seventeen cents a pound back in the day. So coffee's got way cheaper. Um. So. Prices haven't really gone up. Don't let people tell you that. The, the inflation is an illusion. And they use that to, and I hope, I will bring up Biden momentarily. And I'm not going to, I'm not going to like rag on him or anything. Because uh, I think this trend, this, the, what I'm about to say transcends politics. Well, not really politics, but it transcends party politics, okay? Because I think a lot of people in Washington feel this way, and I'm starting to understand why. Um, he, uh, do, do you remember when he called that reporter, Dochi, uh, an asshole? Yeah. Everybody talked about that. That's not what caught my attention. It's what he said before he called Dochi an asshole that, that got my attention. Do you remember what he said? Uh, it's been a minute. Um, okay. I remember well, him. I, yeah. I'll remind you. Okay. He said, everyone knows inflation's an asset, you dumb son of a bitch. I think, that's, I think that was the exact quote. Nobody talked about the inflation part. Why They just thought he was Biden being Biden. But I think that was a moment of clarity for Biden. Because the question was about inflation. And, and Biden looked at it as an asset. And he said it, everybody knows. So everybody in his world knows or feels that inflation is something they want. And I was wondering, why is that? And I'm starting to figure it out. I, th I think it has something to do with this illusion that I'm talking about. It's a way for them to gouge people and hide, you know, somehow hide true value of stuff, you, you know. Mm -hmm. um, that, to me, I don't care if you call somebody son of a bitch or not. Or don't. I mean, that... Oh. I mean, that that doesn't really bother me. What bothers me is that he felt that inflation was an asset, that he thought it was a good thing. 
And I don't understand why he felt that way. That's what bothers me, that he's okay with inflation. Well, you also have to remember this man is not oh, a, Well, yeah, you know. but like I said, that that's not the, that's not a sentence constructed by a dementia patient. That well, was no, a, he's also not he's not he has doesn't have a degree in economics. He doesn't understand, you know. Yeah, but he understands money laundering. He understands corruption. Hmm. You know, I mean, I'm whether you believe it or not, it's true. I mean, you've got Hunter's laptop. You've got all the things that he said over the years. I mean, we don't have to debate that. It's just out there. Whether you think he's a good president, that's your business. I'm not judging you. But he is who he is. And yes, there are being corrupt presidents. Some people say Trump was, and that's fine. But Trump didn't say this, though. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I can't make him say it because he didn't. Well, uh, I, I'd be curious to know how many people in Congress actually, um, you know, have a degree in in economics of some sort. Or well, Trump Trump does hold a bachelor's degree in economics, so there's that. Um, but we're like I said, this isn't about politics, but. Inflation is not a good thing, but not for the reasons you think it is, or you know, not you specifically, but just in general. Okay, so the next logical question would be, well, well, how how do you mitigate that? How do you get around this inflation thing? Well, you buy things that don't inflate, like my guitar collection. I've got one of a kind or very rare instruments. Uh, like there's only there were only so many 1979 Stratocasters made in America. <laughs> you know what I mean? There's only there's a fixed number of those, and as they get older, demand increases, rarity increases. I mean, you know, house fires happen; they get burnt up. I mean, they are made of wood. People gig with them and beat the heck out of them, and they get destroyed. So numbers are getting fewer. They're getting older. Demand is getting more. I I paid a set amount for my 1979 Stratocaster because I'm a feel, fan of Gilmore. I couldn't quite afford a 1970 like his Black Strat, but I wanted set I wanted a 70 Strat and I got one. I paid a set amount for mine in mint condition. It was literally under a bed for 40 years. I checked prices on it the other day. They're nearly doubled. Part of that's inflation, part of that's rarity, but you know, I didn't lose if I sell that guitar today, there's no way I'm gonna lose money. I gain money. Okay, that's how you protect yourself against inflation. It's called asset ownership. You, you have, can do that you could do that with a house or anything anything you're into. Anything you're into stamps. Everybody's like, why do rich people collect art? Because it's an asset. Okay, now me, I don't like art. I mean, I like to create art, but I don't like to look at it so much. <laughs> it's well, like, oh, I'm wow, think, that's I'm a pretty picture. About, I was thinking Hold about on, this let me, the other let me day. roll this blunt real quick and look at this Mona Lisa's crooked ass smile here. Okay, um, uh, not, not not my thing. Not my. Well, thing. I was thinking about but, the other that the other day. I am I'm an artist. Um. I do draw, I do paint. Well, I want to learn how to paint, I, but I started out drawing. Um, 
so I have an, a, an affection for pictures. Um, to be specific, um, uh, one of the things I, I would like to get into is um, comic book uh, and uh, animation, comic book art and animation cells. Um, for those of you who don't want to don't know what an animation cell is, it's basically like take a Disney Disney cartoon that was used to be in two D. An animation cell is basically where they where they took the p- drawing and painted it and put the background in and painted the background and all, and it they created the thing to put. A cell to put in the on the camera, so that when they filmed the cartoon, that's part of what you know. And they create a lot of them so that there's movement. You can do the same thing with any. You just create drawings, and you draw a circle. Each circle, and you make keep copying that circle and vary it slightly um, until you've got like a handful of them. And you pick up the pages, and you uh, flip them to where it looks like the circle is moving, and that is basic animation right there. Um, and then there's there's a lot of that stuff, you know. Like I said, paintings, um, art cells, drawings by famous uh, famous artists who draw comics or draw um, stuff. Uh, one of my favorites is uh, Jack Kirby. If you get Jack Kirby is responsible for creating a lot of the comic book characters and art that, that we know. Um, if you're a Marvel fan, you know about Captain America, you know about um, Spider-Man. If, if you're able to find a drawing by him, which good luck. Um, it's probably worth a lot of money because there aren't that many of them around, just like your guitar collection. Um, so, okay. Um, Getting back to the topic <laughs> at hand here. Um, that was a interesting side voyage there. Uh, but, uh, yeah, art is one thing you can do to protect yourself against um, inflation. A lot of old school people, um, they will invest in gold directly or precious metals. A lot of your podcasts, you'll hear people advertising for gold. Gold is the best investment, and it is. It, they don't, there's, there's a set amount of gold in the world, and it has a fixed value. And its price fluctuates based on the value of the dollar, not itself. Its value stays the same. Uh, real estate, if you've got the money, nobody's, you know, there's a set amount of dirt on the earth. So, <laughs> um, they're not, you can't just produce more dirt. Um, uh, 
But that's a, that's you know I would say that's more intermediate to advanced level. Um, if you're just starting out rethinking your, as we talked about in the last episode, the corporation that is you, your success in uh, as a business. It's like, am I successful? You know, if I were a business, would I be successful? And not and borrowing money from the vending machine three days before your paycheck. You are a business that is about to go bankrupt. You are not handling your finances properly, and you need to change some things. You can't live like that. I mean, things happen, emergencies happen, and this, that, and the other thing. But I covered this in the last episode, how I handle emergencies and everything. You know, um, when I'm working... Excuse me. Go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, no, I was just I was just thinking it amazes me the amount of people that don't understand the concept of saving. Well, you know, like to to revisit the last episode, you know, I I don't uh, when I'm working, um, I have a set amount of money. I have no less than two grand in my checking account at any given time. So if those little emergencies come up, I'm still not borrowing money off the vending machine unless it's not taking my money, um, which is a whole different problem. But if you're consistently hungry by by the time your next paycheck comes along, learn how to cook. Buy your ingredients. Stock up on those ingredients. Plan your meals. Um, you can get – you can eat – if you know how to cook, you can eat for less than two or three dollars a day. You, you, you know, um, if you're eating out all the time, like some of my younger friends do, they never eat at home. They never learn how to cook. They're eating out at home. That's ten, fifteen dollars a meal. I mean, you know, uh, you ain't got that kind of money, homie. <laughs> I mean, you know, because by the time you're by the time you know you're coming up on your paycheck, you're you're borrowing snacks out of the out of the machine. So you you can't afford to eat out. Learn how to cook. We got YouTube. We got really good Amazon cookbooks. Uh, we got you know my mom gets new recipes off of Facebook. There's people she watches cook on Facebook and she gets recipe ideas. Facebook, um, YouTube, Pinterest is popular. Um. You know, so it's not hard to cook. I mean, I know how to do it. I mean, you know, um, in fact, there, there's a, it's a funny situation. My mom won't let me cook because she doesn't, you know, she, she knows that I can and she doesn't want to be outdone. So she's like, I will cook. And, you know, it's like, okay, you know, no, and, that's fine. That's her thing, and she's proud of that, and I'll give it to her, you know, but she taught me how to cook. I learned. I, I When I was growing up, I was in the kitchen watching, asking questions. Now, as far as baking goes, I probably could, but I never really, you know, like something basic, like some cookies or something, I, I can do no problem. Um, a boxed brownie. <laughs> Like a you know like a Betty Crocker brownie mix or something I could probably do that. Um, that's something I have to learn. Can you follow the directions? <laughs> can you? And you can and you can bake. I mean, but yeah. um, it's not as easy because you know like making dough. Um, 
You make a basic dough, but if you want to make like a pizza dough that has a certain consistency and certain process that you have to learn. Um, like my mom's strombolis, it's all about the dough. Well, you know, call them calzones now. They're calzones, Scott. They're not. What is a stromboli, you nerd? You boomer. They're calzones, man. They're strombolis. Uh, but the trick is the dough. You got to get that dough right. And you can follow the recipe and make the dough, but you got to knead it a certain way because it's got a layer and flake a certain way. Um, you got to have the right amount of flour and butter in there um, or shortening. That That's the trick. She doesn't use butter in the stromboli dough. Uh, she uses the uh, the shortening. So, but anyway, that I, Gio went on his little art tangent. I went on a little food tangent. Um, thing about it is learn how to cook. Okay, you'll save a lot of money eating at home. Yeah, it's boring, and but don't make it boring. Invite a friend over. Hey, I made this delicious lasagna. Why don't you come over and share it with me? You, you know, have a couple people over. Then it's not so boring. You're doing some. You're socializing. You're you're, you know, you're in a group setting. Now, me personally, I just cook lasagna and I eat it. And I put the rest up for you know another day. Um, but you know, if that social interaction is important to you, invite somebody over. Take some pictures of it, put on Instagram, brag about it. Hey, look at this lasagna I made. Uh, you can have fun with it. Learn how to cook. And again, to revisit, don't buy a new vehicle. Save your money. Pay, Save up. Take that car payment, put it in your savings account, save up for something, pay cash for it, and be done with it. Uh, you know, just stuff like that. But going back to assets, okay? Like I said, real estate is intermediate to advanced. Um, because it's a process. You got to get there. You can't just jump on the real estate bandwagon. You you have to do other things like we talked about in the last episode to get to the real estate area. And if you're investing in real estate strictly as investment, not not because this is my home, my castle kind of thing, but hey, I either want to flip this house or I want to um, rent this house out. Uh, the bank's going to be a little less likely to risk. Uh, giving you a loan on investment property because you're more likely to cut it loose when you get financially strapped because um, you don't live in it. So you're not, you don't necessarily care as much. Now you do that a couple times. They're more likely. It's like, okay, this dude's, you know, this dude's, he's borrowing serious money here and he's giving it back when he flips it. Okay. House flipping is real simple. You borrow the money, you fix the house up. Okay, you're not doing a 30 more 30 year mortgage on this. You tell the bank, hey, there's this house. It's it's for sale for this much. It's worth this much, but there's some work that needs to be done. So you borrow enough money to buy the house and get that work done. Okay, and then they do that around here a lot. They flip houses because it's a college town. So you know. Um, so you say it's a hundred thousand dollar house, but it's outdated. You need some updating. So, okay, I'm gonna borrow a hundred and twenty thousand. Okay, I'm gonna buy the house for the hundred. I'm gonna take that twenty thousand. I'm gonna do some upgrades: a new floor, update the kitchen, 
you know, I'm going to do the work myself, so I'm going to save a little bit of money. And all of a sudden, because you updated that house and everything's all new on the inside and you painted the outside, got a new roof on there and everything, you know, the house is worth 160000 okay? So you give the bank their 120000 back and you keep what's left. You profit it, okay? And you do that two or three times a year. You're making some serious money. That's that's house flipping. Okay. Um, it's stressful because the longer you hold on to the house, the less money you make. Because you you know you're you've got to pay that mortgage, one way or another, and you don't want to do that. You want to give that bank their money back as soon as you can. Um, and the banks like it because hey, they're paying this loan back quick, man. With this interest on here too, man. You know, boom. You know what I mean? Rental property is a little bit different. Rental property, you're in it for the long term. You go in, you buy the house, you update everything, you make it attractive, and uh, you lease that house. Usually your mortgage, okay, let's say it's a $150,000 house. Uh, your mortgage probably, depending on how much you put down, let's just say it's six something a month. I mean, six fifty a month is your mortgage. Well, the rent for that would be double, so it'd be thirteen hundred a month. Okay, that's how much that house would rent for. That's the general rule. Now, if you wanted to really get somebody in there, lock them in, you could, you know, lower that a little bit. But the general rule is, whatever your mortgage is, double that, and that's your rent. Okay, and you become landlord. It's that simple. Um, you take that money. Now, me personally, I would have a company manage my my properties for me. I wouldn't do it. There, there are services out there that are really you pay a monthly fee. It's really cheap, and they're they're property management companies. There's one that's sort of internet based called Cozy, which I really like. They handle collecting your rent. It's all direct deposit. Uh, they handle listing your properties and promoting them. Um, you don't have to do anything. You just pay that monthly fee, and they handle promoting your properties, advertising them, getting people in there, getting the rent direct deposited, getting you know all that. They take care of it. So if I have more than one property, um, that's what I'm doing. I'm having a property manager handle all that for me. They get yelled at, not me. <laughs> you know, I handle all, you know, if something comes up, I pay for the toilet or whatever, you know, that. But um, I don't deal with, excuse me, I don't deal with the renters directly. And that that's good for me because, you know, I want to be rich, not famous, so to speak. Successful, not famous. I don't want people walking around, oh, that's that dude's landlord, you know, screw my cousin out of that rent, you know what I'm saying, you know, none, none of that. They don't know who I am, they go through my management company, and everything is good. And uh, having the rent come in automatically, and they manage all that, and I can log into my dashboard and see, you know, what empty properties I have and what, you know, where that they're promoting, so... They handle the leasing and everything. It's hands off. So all the headaches that people tell me about, well, you don't want to do this. You know, well, you're not using a property manager either. So, you know, you're trying to do all this yourself. So those headaches are 
intrinsic to that business. But even if I had to deal with all that, I would because I feel like having that long-term residual income and a huge asset like property, you know, you take take the value of a guitar and multiply that by a billion. Okay, you have three or four properties in your portfolio, as they call it. Um, banks will give you money no matter what. And you can always grow. You can go into commercial real estate, where's where the real money and less headache is, in my opinion. Um, different kind of headache. You know, you know residential is always a problem. Even when I was in the computer business, residential business was always more than a problem than business to business. You know, I was dealing with other businesses. It was much smoother, uh, was much more lucrative, just much more professional. Um, dealing with residential customers is always delicate, to say the least. Now, I love my customers when I was in it, but the residential customers, if there's going to be a bad one, was it going to be another business? It was going to be. It was going to be a residential customer. So that's that's inflation and that's assets. Okay, so that uh, learn how to cook, buy things that are valuable, and uh, get to know your bank. Like like I said in the last episode, we're gonna we're gonna move into a different area here. Uh, so I'm transitioning. I'm I'm doing a lot of review from the last episode because all like I said all this connects, and in this particular episode even in the last episode inflation is the string that runs through all of it. So um, certificates of deposit. Right, right. So get to know your bank and know know what options, uh, know what your options are as far as what your bank can do for you. And one of the things your bank can do for you is offer you what we commonly refer to as a CD, a certificate of deposit. Um, basically, what that is, it's, it's you giving your bank a guarantee. It's, it's you're loaning the bank money at this point, and they're paying you the interest. Okay, And that's usually set on a time. And you buy a CD in blocks. Okay, um, Usually, the average is a $2,500 block, a long-term CD. And basically, it's a guarantee. It's a certificate that says, hey, I'm going to hang on. I'm not going to touch this money, okay, for this amount of time. So the bank can do what they do. That's where your mortgages come from, okay? That's where you're – the bank doesn't have any money. Secret. The bank doesn't have any money, okay? The bank is basically shuffles money around. Okay, so it takes these people's CDs, you know, certificates of deposit that was promised that their customers promised they could borrow, and they give that to you <laughs> as a mortgage, and you do what you do with it, give that money back to the bank, they keep the interest on that, and they pay interest on the CD. Okay, and it's all calculated. They make a little bit of money, but basically it's just shuffling around. Okay, it's not a bad thing. It's not a good thing. It's the game, and we we learn how to play it. Uh, then it doesn't matter if it's good or bad. We learn how to play the game. Um, I personally like 
certificates of deposit because they're a set it, forget about it kind of thing. You know, you, you buy a lot of people buy a bunch of CDs for retirement. They don't, they're not going to touch them until they retire. So it's a long-term investment. You can get short-term CDs, which have a high – well, your bank's not going to give you a high yield. But I tell you, um, it's going to kind of morph into credit unions versus banks. Um, banks are good, okay? There are some better than others. Um, some are crooked. Some are crooked. God, I don't know why I'm yawning. Sorry. Um, are you there, dude? I'm here, man. Oh, okay. Damn, I thought I lost you there for a second. Okay. Um, so, the the main difference between a credit union and a bank is a credit union is not a bank. Okay? And what I mean by that is a credit union is owned by you. It's It's like... It's like a bunch of you and your buddies get together and you say, hey, we're going to put our money in a piggy bank, okay? And we're going to hire some people to watch over it for us. They work for us. And um, a lot of your businesses have have a credit union. Like Mercedes, for example, has a credit union. Coal mine had a credit union. Uh, it's outside of the banking system. And this is a benefit. Okay, like when a company can offer you, hey, we got our own credit union. Um, all the employees that work there, for example, um, put their money in the credit union. And it's good for the company because a, co- a company could do what banks do with that money, but they're working for you. So generally, you get higher interest rates. on Like a like good friend of mine, I talked a little bit about in the last episode. One of the tricks that he does, which I didn't know you could do, because I didn't know a lot about CDs or anything until fairly recently in my life, within the last couple of years, um, because I never had $2,500 to lay down on that. You know, um, I knew what I knew, and that's what I trusted, low risk kind of things. And CDs are the least risky of any investment ever. Um, just throwing that out there. So if you want a low risk, and with low risk comes low yield. So again, low interest rate. But a credit union generally offers better, better credit rate. So what what my friend did was he would, uh, and I think he still does this. He'll do short term CDs. Like he'll he'll get like a thousand dollars or six hundred dollars CD. And he'll hang on to it for six months or a year. And he'll usually get a significant gain on that. Like a $600 CD for six months, the interest rate will be so-so. They they add all kinds of interest to it. They pay you different ways, like compound interest plus a, um, um, a quarterly interest. So by the time you're ready to cash that out, you've got like that 600 could turn into 1000 Real easy, um, and that's why it's good for the short term. And you use the credit union because those interest rates they're paying you are higher. Um, banks only have my bank, for example. I think the last time I looked, it only paid you two point three percent interest per per CD. It's not a lot, but if you got your, you know, if you got like 
fifteen, twenty thousand dollars invested in CDs over a period of thirty, forty years, um, you got a pretty good retirement there. And you got to adjust for inflation. Something you got to all, like I said, you know, it's a string that runs through it all. So if you had sixty five thousand dollars in nineteen seventy and you saved it until today, uh, you would actually lose quite a bit of money. It would be <laughs> the the interest would have to play catch up with the inflation. That's the only way you that's the only way you're actually be making any money there. And like I said, I think the current figure is almost seven to one from from 1970. So uh, shrinkage on your money from then till now is seven to one. You know, so you lose six dollars for every dollar that that you keep. You know, so they got to do better than seven percent interest, or yeah, seven hundred percent, or whatever it is. Not good with the math. I can just tell you the numbers. So CDs are are good, solid investment. They're a good way to get started, especially in the long term. Like you need emergency money, and you're not going to touch it from. And that's another thing. There's penalties if you if you cash out early. Um. So don't do that. Buy a CD for the long term, or unless you're buying a short term. Uh short term that you know okay I'm going to need this money in a year so I'm going to buy this short term certificate of deposit and you know I'm buy you know $2,000 CDs and you know that way I'll have $4,000 in a year and that's when I'm going to need it or however the interest rate you know may not be that good but you'll make some money on it. I know somebody that, like I said he's you know he's making three or four hundred dollars a pop every time he does it, and that's good annual income for him because if he's got nothing else going on, he's he's got the stock market, which we're about to get into uh, shortly. Not quite yet, but um, and the tried and true, the oldest school of the oldest school investment is what we refer to as treasury bonds. Your government doesn't make enough money off of taxes alone, and it never has. It could, but because the government's the government and doesn't manage its finances that well, uh, it sells what are called treasury bonds. You can buy bonds directly from the treasury. Now, how this works is you buy the bond, okay, so you give the government money outside of taxes, okay? They they rob you out of taxes anyway. Then you volunteer to give the money for a bond, okay? Now you can buy as little as a $100 treasury bond. But if you're investing, you got to think big. So you buy the treasury bond, and that makes up the gap. Everybody in the country buying treasury bonds, and you know, all over the world, some countries buy our bonds. Um. That's how they hold our debt, so to speak. Um, but, you know, everybody in the country chipping in, buying these bonds, that makes up the gap for what they're not generating in tax revenue. 
Okay. Or in good times where we have a president who actually can manage the money, it's good rainy day money for the government. In return for you giving them money, they promise you a um, a maturity. Okay, it's like interest. But let, let's say you buy a hundred dollar savings bond. You buy it for fifty. Okay. You buy a hundred dollar savings bond for fifty bucks. Okay, I'm keeping this real simple just so the folks out there understand. And let's say that um, it will mature in ten years. Okay. So what that basically means is a hundred percent interest, but you gotta wait ten years to get it all at once. So you give them fifty now. And they'll pay you $100 for that bond when you give it back to them in 10 years. Okay, so that's a great uh, that's a great way to do things. Now, Series 1 Treasury bonds work on interest. Okay, now they, this is something that I'm learning still. So uh, the Series 1 Treasury bonds, you can have up to $10,000 of them. Okay. And they'll they'll generate interest, a lot of interest, calculated twice a year, both compound and adjusted for inflation. So if you have ten thousand dollars, okay, and you don't want it to sit in your savings account because of inflation, it's going to devalue, like we talked about. Uh, you kind of want to protect it. A lot of people will let it sit in a treasury bond series one treasury bond okay and they'll you can get that money out after a year two years whatever you know um, but if you if it's it's better than having a savings account because it's it's generating the more i looked at a graph that calculated it and it's exponential once once it starts generating interest it'll double triple quadruple the catch is you can only do ten thousand dollars at a time with that. Um, you you can't just sink a million dollars in that. You'll break the government. That's that's one that's one thing that's one thing that that's a that's a catch. But like I said, if you want to put your money somewhere, park it. They call it in the investment community. If you want to park your money somewhere for a while, um, the Series One Treasury bonds is a good way to do that. And uh, like I said, you can access that without penalty at any point. The uh, longer you let your government have your money, the more reward you'll get for it. Like I said, it starts to get X. 10,000 10, over a period of like 10 years will turn into like 40,000. I mean, it's ridiculous. I started, like I said, there was a calculator. Um, when I was doing research for this episode, because like I said, the treasury bonds and stuff kind of new to me. Some of the newer options you have there. Um, I kind of went down some of these financial rabbit holes and I was like, wow, you know, uh, when I break even on the stock market, I think I want to move my money out of the stock market and lob it over here into these series one uh, treasury bonds. Um. So, and that brings me back to the stock market. 
The stock market is it's a wild, wild, wonderful place. <laughs> it's made people. It's broken people. It's 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 been the lottery for people, and it's been the poorhouse for people. And the only only advice I have for the stock market is it's really simple. Uh, don't sell your stocks unless the number goes higher or equal to the number you paid for it. Buy low, sell high, as the old saying goes. If your stock plummets after you bought it, don't panic. Don't sell it. Keep it. Hang on to it. Forget about it. Okay? That's the best advice I have for any, anybody. And just as in last episode, it's a good time to throw our disclaimer out there. We're not financial professionals. We uh, are speaking from our own personal experience and our own personal knowledge. We in no way can be responsible for what you do with your money and the decisions that you make. You make those on your own. Uh, We hope that we're helping you with this. But we're just talking about our own experiences and hoping that you get some entertainment out of it, hoping that maybe it inspires you in some way to to, to go down these rabbit holes yourself. Um, but we're not – if you lose money in any – or if we're blatantly wrong in any one of these topics and you lose money or you become bankrupt, it is only your fault. You chose – to make those decisions and um, hopefully you'll be smart with your money and you won't take unnecessary risk and lose a lot of money. But just, just because we want to be perfectly clear and open, we're not financial advisors. We're not professionals. We're not necessarily somebody you want to listen to. <laughs> okay. But like I said, we hope that this inspires you to make better decisions to rethink how you're handling your your money. We are only when we learn just as much as our audience does. So think of us as a, as as one resource. We're not the only resource. So, you know, in in a lot of ways, a- you know, we're just like you. <laughs> um so basically you swim at your own risk. Um, Mm -hmm. um, more on the stock market because it is such a fast and complicated subject I don't have a lot there but what I do have like I said is is simple Uh, try to invest in companies that pay dividends Um, people are like huh yes some companies pay you to have uh, their stock yeah to have their stock they share their profits with when you buy a share of a company, that's just exactly what it says. You're buying part ownership of that company. So some companies share their profits with their investors, and that's a good thing. There's one stock right now that I probably won't get rid of um, that has a very high-yield uh, dividend. And they pay that out quarterly, usually, and – it's not much, but if you've got a lot invested in that company, it could, it could, you know, you could live off of it. You know, me personally, I take my dividends and reinvest in that company. So I basically have free stocks, 
you know, every quarter, you know. Um, I do the same. So, so dividends are an excellent way. In fact, I really, that's the first thing I look at is did I pay dividends? What's the yield on that? If it's a low yield, I don't even look at it. Um, good examples, AT&T was decent. IBM is decent. These companies, um, these companies do pay a dividend. And there's some people that are retired and they're living off their IBM and AT&T dividend. Yeah, and um, I should also probably add, um, there's two ways you can go about this. You can either manage manage it yourself through through something like Robinhood or um, a traditional E Trade uh, or I forget what the other companies are, which is now merged with Ameritrade. So Ameritrade, yeah. Um, or you can go to a financial institution, and there are people that whose job it is is to manage your portfolio for you. Um, they get a certain percentage when you do well. So if you do well, they it's in their interest to do for you to do well because they get paid more. Um, generally speaking, the way it works is it's it's money you will never see. It's just it just comes off off up off the top of whatever you make. So if you have a lot of money invested, they make they make really good money. If you have just a little bit of money, they don't they make okay, but they don't make great. Um, so what do you mean you'll never see it? Like what do you mean? Basically, what happens because I, I use a broker, and what happens is like every quarter or what? Not every quarter, but whenever. Uh, um. Like, I, basically, the way it works is, like, I'm invested in a, in a block because there's different ways you can you can invest in the market. You can either do it through a fund or you can do it with individual stocks. Um, the funds are basically groupings of stocks um, that you can invest in instead of having to invest in little bitty um just individual stocks. So the the brokerages what they do is they invest your money for you, they manage your money for you, whatever you know, and they take a certain percentage of the money um or a they have set fees some of these places. Um they have set fees that they take out every so often and that's their that's how they make money. Um, it depends on how much you have, you know, it's, it's different with each, each, uh, house as it were, um, how much it is. It's like, I think mine is a couple hundred dollars ever so often. So, but it, it just depends on how much you have invested. Now, if you do it yourself, then you don't have to worry about that. It's. You know, you put the money in, you bought the stock, you pay, you know, 
you don't owe anything until you ta- until you take the money out. Um, and then you have to pay taxes on said stock. Um, but you still have to do the same. It's it, that's the only caveat is you don't lose you don't lose money until or have to pay taxes until you take money out of that stock. If you're taking the dividend, like you know, like what you're doing, and you uh, and you're just reinvesting it, like you said. It, you don't. It's it's basically like having a free stock because you're just reinvesting the money that they um, that you make. Um, differences with a brokerage, like I said, it's just they take a certain amount of money for them to stay in business. You know, so some people like that idea, some people don't, but it is an option. Um, plug and play, essentially, right? Mm-hmm. For for like the, the beginner, mm-hmm. um, which you know that's solid. That's, that's solid. Basically, when you say um, you don't see it, is that just automatically like 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 an auto pay thing where it's deducted automatically and it just goes in? Yeah. Pretty much. Into your when when I went okay. to uh, when I went to set this up and everything, which I didn't do until I had you know had a certain amount of money sitting in the account that was not doing anything. So I was like, well, I got to go, and I didn't know anything about how to get started in this. There was no um, Robinhood wasn't a thing yet, or uh, any any of these other places. Let me tell you. Let, let me tell you how I got into Robinhood. And this is what sparked me rethinking my whole way of of finance. A friend of mine used Robinhood, and he was like, "Hey, man, if uh, if I refer a friend, you know, we each get a free stock. It's one free stock." I was like, "Okay, he's a friend. I was helping him out, you know." So I did it, and I got my free stock. It was five dollars stock. I'm not gonna name the company, but but I will off the air. It's a five dollars stock. I thought, well, that's pretty cool. Five dollars, man. You know, that's good little stock right there. You know. Forgot about Robinhood. I don't know anything about the stock market. Blah blah blah. You know. So then I started. Uh, started thinking about oh, I need to start investing money. And you know, I was looking for a house, like I said in the last episode. I I needed to put some money in a safe place that you know, park it, uh, to use the financial terminology. And uh, I had Robinhood for like a year before I used it, and. Um, I was uh, and when I when I opened it up, I noticed that a that period I got paid. I mean, it was like pennies, but I got paid four times for having that one stock, the dividend. And uh, not only did I get paid four times each quarter for that stock because that company ran, and it was a random stock they gave me. It's a boom here. Um, 
Not only did that happen, but I noticed that it went from $5 to $10. It doubled. I was like, holy shit. <laughs> if I had bought more of these, I'd be in a good place right now, you know? Mm-hmm. So I did. I, I, I did some research into that company. They had a real high-yield dividend. So I was like, okay, I'm paying $10 a stock here, but I'm going to move a lot of money into this company. Um and that's my primary investment right now is that is that one company um which is doing uh better but the stock market as a whole is not doing so good so i'm not moving my money until it jumps back up um which might be a year might be a couple years but i don't know um i think i think after november it'll probably jump back up but right now, since it's way lower than what I put into it, I'm I'm not gonna move it. So I haven't really lost anything. It's just just gonna take a little longer to recover it. And uh, that's what I mean by don't sell the stock unless you break even or profit, and you'll be fine. Now there's some people who are investing in what are called micro stocks. Um, that's where uh, the micro exchange is where a lot of your cannabis companies live, um, which, you know, that's an exploding market right there. And those stocks trade for under um, a dollar on a separate exchange. The New York Stock Exchange, um, if it stays under a dollar for a year, um, it gets kicked off the exchange. Um, so these micro, these micro stocks are good. If you want to learn how to, you know how it all works, it's just like the regular stock exchange, except it's on a much smaller level. It's like when you play cards, you play for pennies instead of dollars. You know that kind of thing. You know, you know, your chips don't represent the same amount as they do in the casino. You're you're just basically, you know, if if you if you clean house that night, you got three dollars. You know. Um, so these penny stocks, a lot, like I said, a lot of your cannabis companies, uh, which I don't, I don't know enough about that whole industry to really invest in it. I'm not against it. It's just all new. It's like crypto to me. It's, yeah, it's a whole I feel, the same, I feel the same way about crypto. <laughs> I just, I just, yeah. I'm too old school to understand. I, I, you know, I know that I can go to the bank. And withdraw my money and hold it and put it somewhere. You can't do that with crypto. And I've lost so many hard drives over the years that um, I'm just like, you know, I, I'm just having a hard time with it. I'm not, I'm not saying it's a bad thing. If you if you understand it, go for it. Um, but I just I can't wrap my head around. It. I just don't. I know that is that is one thing I have come to understand about crypto is that there's only so much of it to go around, and one it's going to take a couple of years, but eventually there's not going to be any more, like we were talking about. So well, it it well it, it won't be any new. The right. existing will be in that, and when that happens, it's gonna it's it's gonna be highly valuable. You think it's expensive now? It's going to be highly valuable when, whenever they've mined it all out. 
And there are, you know, that's just Bitcoin. Bitcoin's, I think, is good until 2040. Um, but um, there's other crypto out there. So there's competitors to Bitcoin, which is even more confusing to me. Include, including one by Elon Musk, which it is a joke, which I thought was funny. Yeah. Doja coin, I think it is. So, so yeah, the stock market, like I said, um, it sounds complicated, but it's not. Uh, look for a company that has high yield dividends. Um, buy low, sell high. Don't sell anything in, unless that price jumps equal or more than what you paid for it. Um, the stocks are just like money. You know, there's a lot of contributing factors that that you know that uh, determine their worth, and a bet, and better the company does, the better you do. So um, it's it's a win-win, really. But again, it's still a gamble because a lot of companies like Twitter right now, um, y- you know, is just, for lack of a better word. Um, are too engrossed into politics to to worry about their investors, and that's one of the reasons that it got bought. I yeah, the, the market mm-hmm. the market is kind of uh, as I've come to notice because I'm I'm it's one of the things when I when I wanted to when I wanted to get into this, I started thinking well basically it, it's an excuse to keep a close eye on what's going on in the world because as the world goes. So goes the market because it's based on, um, well, like oil, for example. Oil's really expensive right now. <laughs> um, why is it so expensive? Because people are looking at what's going on in the world. And based on that speculated, what they think is happening, they're either valuing something, something has great value, or they, or it's not worth a whole lot. Um, to this day, I don't understand what Russia has to do with oil, but that's how, you know. That's how the, the the news is kind of telling people, you know, well, the market's down because of inflation and it's this and it's that. Well, yeah, it is, but it's not the new. Don't believe everything that they put on the news because they have an agenda. <laughs> um, the more you panic, the more the more the their ratings go up. That's how that works. Um and the market is sort of that way too. I mean, the people, um, the way it was originally supposed to work was, okay, you've got houses, and and you got a you got a trading floor, and there's people on that trading floor whose job it is to sell and trade the stock. And they're looking at computers, and the computer tells tells them, well, the the mar- the the, uh, 
uh, this stock is worth this much right now. So, dude on the floor will say, well, I'm buying this for this amount of money. Um, and the, the, the whatever it is, whatever stock it is, let's say it's uh, AT, let's go with AT&T. Um, AT&T is like $5 a share, let's say. Well, in the span of their trade, the day of trading, because it opens and closes each day, um, the stock either is going to go up or it's going to go down. When it goes up, the, they sell it off. When it goes down, all those people buy it. And because so many people bought it, the computer or even the person is going to go, well, that stock must be worth a lot of money. AT&T must be, must be doing something good because, you know, people are buying all this stock. So AT&T is worth more. Um, I mean, you could fit any number of, uh, what was it, uh, Netflix. Next, Netflix took a nosedive because everybody went, well, they don't, I don't like what they're doing. So everybody sold their stock. <laughs> so the price went down. Mm-hmm. That about right? Simply put, yeah, there's a lot of micro factors that determine the value of a stock. But if you apply the simple supply demand supply and demand rule to the stock market, that in its simplest form is how it works. Um, just pretty cool. Competition too. I mean, if you have more more companies doing the same thing. Something similar, you know. So yeah, okay. Um, that's the market. Um, the last thing on here was credit unions, which you covered. Credit unions. I covered the market. I've covered banks. Really. Um, <laughs> Uh, and I think we could do one of two things. We can call it right now, or we can kind of elaborate on something. Like if you've got questions you want to ask me, or you think I should elaborate on a particular topic, we could fill in the remaining time there. Um, which either way you want to do it, I'm cool. Um, I think we'll take, I'll take a minute and, uh, as you know, we were looking at this off air, um, and that's our Facebook page. Um, that is our number one communications tool right now. Um, we don't have an email address per se. We don't have a, I mean, an email address. We do have an email address. We don't have a, a physical website. Um, we would like to take donations eventually. Um, if you get something out of this, as they like, as we like to call it a value for value model, if it's worth something to you, 
um, then uh, we will set up something to where you can give us whatever you think it's worth. Um, I'm working on that. I haven't um, had a chance to do that, um, get it all situated yet to where that's possible, but we are working on it. Um, kind of, kind of um, skeptical about PayPal, but that is the common mechanism. Um, I don't want to do crypto at this point. I know you can do micro pay, micro um, crypto payments for podcasting now. It's I don't know about that. Um, do you have any thoughts about you know how people can you know support us or? I have thoughts, but you know, uh, uh, financial contributions are welcome, but at this point in time, uh, kind of complicated. Um, like Gio said, we we don't really have a home base other than our Facebook, uh, which I'm unplugged from for the immediate time being uh, for personal reasons. So, um. If you have any questions for me uh, specifically, um, Geo will have to address them through Facebook. Um, as far as other contributions, resources right now would be helpful. Um, Geo's working on the website, and, j- and just as a house cleaning kind of things, because some people have asked. Not a lot of people are interested, but some people have asked. So I'm kind of Um, I'm of the feeling we've got nothing really to hide at this point. So, I agree. The the and and like I said, some people have asked because they're they're kind of wanting to do following our footsteps, kind of. And because you and I have been friends for 25, 30 years, however long, I'm not even trying to count decades. Um, we know each other pretty well, and we trust each other 100%. Uh, as far as finances go, if Geo handles our finances and we, you know, we have an agreement there, I trust him implicitly. I, I know that he's going to be fair and honest about it. There's no question, and there will be. I'm not going to have to worry about him embezzling or stealing or or splitting it the wrong way. It's never going to be an option. And uh, I kind of feel like, you know, Geo feels the same way. Now, how we run this show um, is we we have a split. Um, I do production. I'm, I do the recording, the audio, editing, all the production work that goes into it um, to produce the final product that you hear. I manage the distribution. I manage all of that. I don't really do. I do my own promoting in my own way. But as far as my responsibilities go, um, we kind of have a loose agreement that, you know, production's on my end. I've got all the recording stuff anyway because I'm a musician. Um, I have the means to do it. So it just kind of just worked out better that way. Um, and I have the know-how. 
um, to, to record everything, produce it. Um, so all that falls onto me. And all the social media and the promotion and everything else kind of falls into Geo. Uh, or, organizing the the content, you know, um, he's in charge of that. Uh, this was his idea, the finance episode. Um, the Hebegon episode was his. I have input in, in what we talk about, but mainly I trust Geo to to run this show as far as this is what we're going to talk about. Okay, I'm good with that, you know. Uh, any kind of preparations I need, he prepares me. He's like, hey, you know, you're going to need this. This is what we're going to be talking about on this episode. Or he'll ask me, um, you know, if we need to change a date on recording like today. Um, we're not recording this in our usual time. All that, all that kind of secretarial slash content. Everything outside of production goes goes to Geo, and he's done a really good job with that because our show has been progressively successful. Each episode uh, does better than the last one, pretty much so far. And um, I don't know that I can say that about the sound quality. I don't know if I'm leading. Um, I don't know if I'm meeting my expectations as far as how things sound. I think the last episode sounded really good, and I think they are getting better, but um, I'm just so finicky about how things sound. Because here's... Hello? Um, so that's kind of how we split things down the middle. Yeah, um, that, I mean, I try to do, I mean, I'm always interested if there's things that, you know, you think we should, a topic that we should cover, you know, the Facebook page is really kind of where the. You have to, you have to go to the Facebook page because we, we don't have any other place right now. I mean, and that's uh, going to change, but right now that's it. That's all we have because it, cause that's where we started this. Uh, we didn't want to, but that's where it all started from because that's where we had an audience. First couple of episodes are actually um, on the Facebook page. Um, the There was a handful of Facebook live episodes that we did um, that uh, did reasonably well. Uh, we're just trying to... Uh, we 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 just want to reach more people and have a freedom of you know well I'm not on Facebook well you can still listen to us so you know and there was a lot of pressure doing doing it live because we had to manage the chat room and answer comments while we're trying to produce the content and uh, that is know, not easy to do no it's like juggling literally. Um, um, yeah, so, but that just, I just wanted to give people an overview of the things that, you know, how we do things and what are kind of our future plans are. Uh, we'll kind of mention this from time to time just to keep people, you know, apprised of it, I guess you could say, um, for mm-hmm. those of you that are, in- that are interested, but, um, you know, it is what it is. And then that's how that's how it's going to be. Um, 
if you like it, you like it. If you don't like it, you know, that's cool too. Um, and uh, I think we'll uh, we'll call this one done. I think. All right, we'll we'll cut this one a little short. And um, like I said, it, we may revisit this from time to time because, like I said, we can do the whole podcast can be about nothing but personal finance. Um, there's a lot here to cover. But I want we kind of felt like after discussing that a it needed to happen. People need to know, you know, because they need to know how to manage their finances. And second of all, um, it's interesting. There's a lot available to you today. And there's no reason why you shouldn't be better off financially. And I'm of the point, I want to empower the American citizen. I want to empower the individual, okay? Never mind being American, but um, I don't know how other countries work as far as their finances go. So that's going to be on you if you're outside the country. I know we have a few listeners who don't live in the U.S., and a lot of this doesn't pertain to you, unfortunately. I wish it would. Um, But I just don't know. There's so many different countries and so many different laws in those countries. We can only speak from our experience here in the U.S. and how our system works. Mm. But um, if we, like I said, if we, you know, we feel like there's enough more material there we need to cover or an interesting aspect, maybe specific, like a type of investment that we think we should share uh, we may very well revisit this in the future. Maybe not as a part three, but another another topic entirely. And mm-hmm. like I said, um, this day and age, we, we need to break ourselves free from the government. Um, we need to break ourselves free from depending on our, our the bank holding your debt over your head. You know what I'm saying? You, we need to get in on this game and be liberated from debt is a, a form of slavery, in my opinion. Um, you, you're a slave to your debt. And the less debt you have and the more you are in the plus, the better you are. And that's what I want for everybody. Um, because we, we've been we've been rolled over so many times in our life as ple- as plebs that the elites just keep doing it and it's getting worse and we need to wake up and start just breaking free from the system or at least gaming the system to our advantage because you know what the rules for them are the rules for us and if they can do it we can do it and on that note i'm bug i'm geo and we'll catch you next episode